the United States of America, home of the brave. A place that is filled with different cultures, diversity, beautiful scenery, a place I call home. But one thing many people may not know about the USA is the artisans, craftsmen, and women, photographers, musicians, creatives, makers of all sorts that come with this beautiful country. Many people tend to buy products from major online retailers that they forget about the make that is happening right here in America. From the Industrial Revolution and even prior to that time period, America has continued to build its economy through makers and there are thousands of them. America has makers that forge steel to make knives and axes, sew skirts, hats, and handbags with materials of all sorts, paint and capture visuals that are forever in your home and carried in your heart share stories through music and writings, make special treats and refreshing beverages, and much more. Join me through the journey through the lives of makers across our country to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Kristen Vermeule, and this is Makers of the USA. Welcome to the Makers of the USA main series. Throughout the month of September, I will be sharing stories of artisans that are a part of the big reveal project that is led by the Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. If you'd like to hear more about this project, please tune in to the episode with Maggie Krongi, where we talk about the museum and more details about the big find and big reveal project and the big event happening October 8th. On this episode, I chat with Gerardo Gonzalez, fine jewelry artist who explores the relationship between mechanical kinetic mechanisms, certain human motions, and the human responsiveness to rings. Gerardo received a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of Texas Pan American and received a Master's of Fine Arts from Pratt Institute. His pieces embellish the devices that humans have developed over the course of time to create machines or tools that simplify our everyday lives, such as the screw and pulley. Gerardo was inspired by toys he played with growing up. In his work, he incorporates these machine tool-like pieces as a vehicle to develop the connection between the functionality of a ring or the interaction that a person may have with it. He focuses on the hand as his canvas because he is intrigued by the small scale and by the idea of creating miniature sculptures that can be held in the palm of a hand but can also become part of it when worn. So beautiful. Now again, before we get into this interview, I want to be fully transparent to say I mentioned Maine Gem and Mineral Museum a ton throughout the series, and the museum is actually called Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. I guess it flows off my tongue better, but I wanted to make sure all listeners know it is Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. Now let's get to it. Let's talk craft, the craft of fine jewelry with Gerardo Gonzalez. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Makers of the USA podcast. This is a part of the main series. It is a project that is about the big find and big reveal that the Maine Mineral and Gem Museum is leading. So I'm super excited uh, to be interviewing nine artisans that are part of the 12 artisans that are doing this project. And I'm here talking to Gerardo today. The first question I typically start off with is what is your craft and what inspired you to start it? Well, originally, I guess growing up, I wanted to be an artist. So I went to school to study art, primarily painting. It was years ago. And then uh, over the course of my career as a student, eventually things started to change. And then I just uh, sort of fell in love with the process for making uh, miniature sculptures, eventually leading into jewelry, which is what I currently try to make, which I consider to be miniature wearable sculptures. 
Wow. It sounds like you've had quite the journey thus far. Now, where did you go to school? I originally attended the University of Texas Pan American in uh, South Texas, which eventually changed its name to the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. And that's where I got my BA in fine arts. Then I came to New York right after undergrad to study painting, which I guess I was trying to get a degree in uh, a master's in painting. Eventually, during also my course there, I ended up uh, eventually switching to what is the style that I do now, which is in sculpture slash jewelry. Wow. And so what really kicked off your passion for jewelry? I mean, it sounded like you were really involved in the painting side of things, but, you know, how did you pivot, you know, and focusing on more like the metalsmith work? So originally, my I didn't want to take a jewelry course. I actually had took it because it was I was supposed to take a certain amount of electives. Jewelry was one of them, and it, for me, it seemed to be the best one out of what was left for me to take, sort of, in undergrad. There, uh, you know, I thought that jewelry would be like putting beads on a string, this and that, you know, the typical traditional jewelry you see on a, almost at a festival. So then I took the course, not thinking much of it at the, at the time. Then uh, I met a professor, her name was Donna Swigert. And then from her, I learned so much. As soon as, you know, after the first project, I fell in love with the techniques, the processes, you know, you could make so many different things out of metal with techni- techniques that, that I had no clue even existed at the time. And then, uh, you know, I was still in between painting and sculpture at that time. But then I came to my math to get my master's in New York and I met a professor who was a sculpture professor in Robert Zakarian, and he sort of led me into the direction that I am now. He kind of helped me focus into what I wanted to do with my career. And then uh, Pratt does not have a jewelry department for a master's student. So he asked me to ask the chair, Patricia Medeja, who kind of sort of created a special program for me in their jewelry department. So I was sort of like the adopted uh, student, which is what they called me. <laughs> And uh, from there on, I guess since then, I've been going in this direction, which is I am very happy with (laughs) to have found, I guess, my passion. Yeah, that's fantastic. I find when I looked at your pieces, it's very honed in on like sculpture, metalwork, you know, fine arts. You're you've just got this really interesting style. Would you say that the skills that you've learned from sculpting and um, has been heavily involved in your work with your jewelry? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I there's a long a long process in my head before I create something. I think of it primarily as a sculpture. The wearable aspect is sort of part of the concept but I also have to make it you know go both ways it can't just be a sculpture that you can throw on your finger or vice versa it can be a ring that you know I call a sculpture even though it can't meet both criteria. so I'm sort of in an interesting location where you know it could go both ways although I have shown my pieces to galleries or people in the sculpture department they don't consider my work to be sculpture they see it as jewelry and jewelers think of my sculpt my pieces as being sculpture as opposed to jewelry. So I'm sort of in an interesting spot that I sort of kind of like, but it can lead to quite a bit of rejection from either or side. <laughs> seems like you're in that unknown spot, which is probably a good thing because it seems like a lot of people come back to learn more about you and your work. So amazing that you've kind of defined 
your own style. And I think that's what, when I see it, it just makes it so unique and so bespoke. Like people would would not uh, see this type of work, I feel like between sculpture and mix of jewelry. Now, what is the heavy inspiration that goes into your pieces? Like when somebody looks at your work besides sort of like the sculpting um, jewelry mix, how else would folks define your style? See my work as a I guess the main inspiration for my work is growing up, I was the kind of kid that always liked taking apart toys to sort of recreate something else out of it. Eventually, you know, all toys ended up broken with useless parts. I thought I could sort of recreate my own toys in a way. And then that kind of feeling that I had when I was a kid, I was having fun, enjoying it, even though it ended up leading to a lot of broken toys. It's kind of like the same situation sensation I have now when I create pieces instead of me breaking them and sort of recreating new toys for like an adult wearable toys that they can play with while wearing them. So that's sort of like the inspiration that I hope people get out of the pieces that I make, like the the concept of me being a child playing with a toy and this leading to this for somebody else who will be at some point owning it or using it. Wow, that's a great way to put it. I never really thought of it until you just described it because now, you know, looking deeper into your pieces, I, I could see that. What was your favorite toy growing up? Funny thing is it was actually Play-Doh because I could use it to create anything I wanted that was that I envisioned in my head. So that sort of led to me developing my a lot of my hand skills for building, creating, fabricating, and sort of also engineering things, you know, as Play-Doh can be a very sensitive object to try to create something that's long-lasting in a way. Oh, yeah. My kids play with Play-Doh all the time. The the favorite <laughs> toy, for sure, in our household. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, was there one piece that really got you super passionate or had a story to tell that you just, it really spoke to you, you know, throughout your journey thus far, thus far. I mean, I'm sure you've created tons of pieces, but is there one that truly spoke to you? The one that I have created that I would say has sort of changed the way I do my process now was uh, my professor when I was in the grad program. I had an idea to create a ball bearing ring that spun. And then we talked about possibly purchasing a ball bearing and you know modifying it to sort of add a stone on it and make it like a, a ring traditional looking ring with a bearing on it and uh, we ended up actually fabricating the whole thing from scratch he helped me with a lot of the process techniques I learned so much from him through that ring which I still keep and I also have all the jigs mechanisms we did to sort of fabricate every single piece for it for the during the production and that piece sort of changed everything, the way I see pieces from the beginning to the end, you know, the way I incorporate certain machines to use to fabricate pieces before I was doing everything traditional, hammers, saws, files, which if that was the, the idealized way to make jewelry, I felt like using incorporating technology would be sort of cheating in a way. <laughs> but a, a lot of the machines I use are all manual, so it ends up being a similar process as you know as a traditional techniques can you give but, me uh, some would, examples of uh, some of the equipment you've used a lot of the machines i use are like a traditional lathe for turning pieces uh, i have a small milling machine for milling down pieces so it's got that traditional xyz and then i have um you know just the basic jewelry equipment from there on 
that I incorporate into my work. But uh, those two machines are probably my two favorite ones to use. And, uh, you know, aside from hand carving th things, etc. Sounds like you're very innovative in your work, which is amazing to hear. Like you love to play around with things similar to how you referenced the Play-Doh <laughs> toy that you yeah. loved doing when you were younger. Now, I know that you're a big part of the big reveal project that the Maine Mineral and Gem Museum has put on. How did you get involved in that project? Uh, actually, my friend who, is, uh, who studied and Pratt with me sent me a link. She thought that I should apply to it. At first, I was hesitant. I thought, you know, I was like, eh, I'm not sure if my work kind of qualifies for this. But eh, I did it out of, you know, a little bit of excitement seeing seeing what other people thought of my work. Eventually, I did get accepted to the show. So I was very excited for that. And then uh, they said they would be sending me a stone to create a piece for it. And once I got the piece, uh, I was not expecting that size of a stone. <laughs> So it was a, a little bit of a, was it a bit of a challenge? Like walk me through the process of what you put together. Yeah. So I was trying to create something at the moment. I thought maybe I should create something more traditional, but then I felt like that would be not what, uh, going away from what I enjoyed doing. So then I sat there for, I don't know, hours, you can say over a course of a few days, holding the stone in my hands, doing drawings, spinning it around, looking at all the things that make that stone special, like inclusions, reflections, etc. Did some study drawings of it and like, you know, spinning it around in my fingers. And then in my head, I was like, it'd be cool if somebody who would see this on a ring so they could spin the stone and see it from 360 degrees, any angle they want. And that's sort of what led to the mechanism that I incorporated into the piece, which uh, allows you to spin the stone in 360 degrees. And then also the ring incorporates a mechanism on it for that the shank can be adjusted. Because in my pieces, once I pick a size, it's very difficult to go back and modify the size if it doesn't fit a person. So I've been asked a lot of the times if I would be able to sort of change the size of it to fit somebody else, but changing the base can mean changing the whole look of a ring. So in this case, I did something that was, you know, gives you some adjustment. Wow. I can't wait to see this final piece. How long did it take you? Uh, actual fabrication would be, so the, the, I'll tell you more, a little bit more about the process. The process for me is like I have to figure out a design and that leads to a lot of uh, trial and error in terms of the mechanics of what I fabricate, in terms of in the materials I incorporate, especially if it has to be like something that spins. I have to figure out which materials are best to use, uh, something that allows it to spin smoothly, something that doesn't create too much friction, etc. So it was a lot of testing uh, few failed attempts at certain aspects of it. So I had to recreate a few pieces. And then I chose to use probably one of the most difficult materials to use, which was stainless steel. So um, yeah, it was uh, at least 150 hours in production over, you know, testing, fabricating pieces, whether include failed attempts or pieces that are actually on the ring right now. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. And do you typically work with gems and minerals in your work or do you work with other materials? Cause it seems like you have a wide variety after looking at your pieces on your website. Yeah. I mean, my pieces start with a concept. If it involves the stone, I'll incorporate it, incorporate the stone. Sometimes it does not involve a stone or mineral in it, but uh, it all starts with a concept. 
And uh, yeah, that's uh, that would be the basic answer to that question. <laughs> now, what was the initial reaction after seeing the final piece? What is like the one word you could best describe that piece that like everybody could relate to? I mean, I know you mentioned how you wanted to see every side of that, mm. you know, gem, but is there some yeah. other descriptor that you could put against that final piece? Well, I guess the first person that I truly showed it to as a first off would be um, Maggie from the, the Main and Mineral Museum. When I delivered it, I showed it to her. And I, I guess her reaction would be the best that I could expect for anybody to ever see my pieces and actually enjoy seeing them. She put her hands on her cheeks and she was like, I got to tell you, I am blown away. <laughs> Well, that's a great reaction to have, right? Were you pretty nervous yeah. you know, and when while she was looking um, at it? <laughs> you always are because you, you don't know what people expect of you and mm-hmm. whether they have a specific, uh, you know, picture in their head of what they expect to receive. So that, that was definitely something worth seeing. Worth seeing. Oh, I'm sure. Now, where do you go and go about your design process and your, um, you know, your production? Do you do it in New York, somewhere else? My studio is currently in the business that I currently work as my full-time job. So I have a studio in here where I uh, create everything. Everything is fabricated by me. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And do people come in uh, to your studio and, you know, any customers that want to do any custom pieces with you or can come visit and see how you go about your craft? Yeah, I've had uh, people that come by who need specific commissions made, which is uh, right now I'm currently working on one for somebody. And then uh, I'll be having another piece at the New York Jewelry Week. A couple of fellow alumni from Pratt invited me to be in an exhibition with them and a few other artists. And uh, so I'll be having a piece there sometime in November. Oh, that's exciting. Can you tell us about that piece at all? Or is it a secret? It's in, it's in the process. I have to still figure out where I'm going with it. I'm sure that is probably the hardest part is the creative direction. So I can only imagine what goes through your head uh, through that process. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely the toughest part of building something. Yeah. How many pieces do you typically make per month? Per month? uh, Currently, I am trying to do one per month. My pieces, a lot of them sit on my sketchbook for a lot of time. Some of them have been on my sketchbook for months, some years. Mostly because uh, I know how I want something to look like, but sometimes I feel like my skill set's not there to get the piece to be where it should be when I do fabricate it. So it can be a time rigorous uh, mental game with my pieces. <laughs> it's a big puzzle that you're trying to figure yeah, out big, in your big, brain. Big puzzle, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. And now, did you mention this is your full-time job or is this your part-time gig? No, no, I have a, this is sort of my part-time. I wish I could do it full-time, but no, I currently do have a full-time job. So I try to squeeze in as much time as I can when I am not working. Right. What is your full-time job, if you don't mind me asking? I work for a high-end metal fabrication company. So we fabricate uh, stairs out of metal doorways, frames, handrails, anything that uh, is fabricated out of metal, custom fabricated for designers, architects. 
Wow. So that definitely coincides mm-hmm. with your passion then. It kind of is good practice yeah. then it sounds like with the metal fabrication you, su- and you can such. Say it's, uh, <laughs> you can say we fabricate jewelry for, for buildings. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, you must be very busy. Now, what are your really hopes, your future goals and kind of getting this to be your more full-time gig? Well, I just hope I get to, you know, spend a lot more time than I currently am. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just something that once you get going into something, you just don't want to stop. At least for me, that's how it goes every time I start something. Right. You just get into, yeah. I can relate to that. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I turned 32 last month. Oh, no way. Well, we are the same age. We're still young. Yeah, a long way to go. Yeah, we do. But, you know, it's amazing what you've done thus far. And when did you graduate from school? Recently? I graduated about eight years ago. Eight years ago. Okay. So, man, so you just walked right out of school into this job that you're in now? With the metal fabrication? Yeah, wow. with the metal. Uh, actually, no, I had a few jobs within the jewelry aspect, maybe for a year. Jewelry uh, jewelry trade. And then eventually that led to this job, which I've been here for about seven years now. Wow. And that's amazing. So you are practically creating your own style of jewelry. People are really gravitating towards that. And you're growing. And... I look forward to seeing that growth because as people get to know more about you and your craft and your story and how it's very different from the other artisans that are even a part of this project, you are definitely um, a one-off when it comes to looking at the backgrounds of each of the artisans that are part of this project. So props to you and really just being very unique um, and being a one-off in that um, in your industry. Now, what is sort of the the piece that you really want to do and you just haven't touched on yet that you're like, oh, I'm really wanting to work on this, but I just don't have the time to do it? <laughs> yeah, well, there's actually a few of those in my sketchbook right now, which I, I am planning to start within this year, but I'm doing an actual toy series for rings that are going to be quite, I, I would say, unique in a way. Ooh. So those are going to be exciting for me at least to fabricate i don't know what people's reaction will be to them but yeah a lot more mechanisms i enjoyed uh, engineering the mechanisms and things like that and incorporating them into my pieces that makes that's the most uh, fascinating thing to me when it comes to fabricating something the engineering process I can definitely see that in your work. Now, to close off this uh, interview, I wanted to ask, since you've been in New York for some time, but you're also from Texas, would you say New York has really kind of allowed you to grow your career? Is that where a lot of uh, your connections and your craft really began in New York? Yeah, definitely. I would say that's uh, it's helped a lot. I come from a very, from a very small town in Texas, so... You know, you're looking at uh, art in a different matter as opposed to, you know, here and everywhere you go, it's museums, galleries. There's so many opportunities for any person to grow as an artist, jeweler, etc. whatever type of style you want to be in. So it's, uh, it's definitely helped a lot. And why, why stay there? You know, you could probably go back home and probably have your own studio and keep growing your brand, especially with digital marketing and social media being such a great impact and easier to do when you're doing it from anywhere, you know, in the world. So why stay in New York? I mean, I've actually thought about this many times and 
The simple answer is I don't know why I'm still here, but <laughs> it, it helps me in ways that I can explain when it comes to making my pieces. I enjoy walking in the city a lot. So pretty much everywhere I, I go, I walk and it sort of helps me uh, figure things, pieces that I'm working on, you know, problem solving when I walk through the city. So maybe that's part of the inspiration that's hidden in, within my pieces. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I learned so much about you, your craft, you know, growing up in Texas, where you went to school and where you're at today. And I really, really hope that this will be your full-time job in the future. And I can't wait to see the reactions from people when they look at your pieces more and just even this like toy uh, sort of collection inspired uh, pieces that you're wanting to do. I can't wait to see that as well. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Makers of the USA main series. And thank you to Gerardo for being on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about his craft and see his lovely pieces, I will link his website and social media handles in the notes section of the podcast. Also, if you'd like to attend the October 8th Big Reveal event, I will link the registration website in the notes section as well. Also, please follow the Makers of the USA on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to see visuals of these wonderful makers that are part of this series. If you have enjoyed this podcast series thus far, please subscribe to the podcast leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook. Thank you all again and stay safe and healthy.